right. Well, it was nice seeing you guys this week. Uh, no. Hey, look, I got a, a sermon for you, and I hope it's uh, pretty good for you. We're starting a new series called Learning to Love Like Jesus. And um, I, uh, I wasn't raised as a, as a Christian, and so when I began to hear the gospel for the first couple times, I realized how interesting Jesus was. The stories that I began to understand about the way that God loved me was so mesmerizing. It was so attractive. It was so um, desiring for me to learn more about who he, this guy was. Jesus is the greatest human being that's ever walked the planet. He's fascinating in every way because there's no one that's done life like the way he is. And what I mean by that is the way I understood life is you live for you. You protect you. You live to make more money, make more friends, and get people to like you. Jesus wasn't about that mess. In fact, there were so many people that were wrong to him, he was good too. There were often times where he was not self-promoting. He was not trying to get people to recognize all the great things that he did. In fact, he was really just going about loving people intentionally. He found a way that when people rejected him, he still received them. You'll hear more about this, but the love of Jesus was so attractive to me. What I loved so much was how he found a way to find the people that everyone forgot. The woman at the well, broken, been through so many relationships, and just kind of felt like she didn't know who she was because she had been broken so many times. And Jesus went out of his way to make this connection with her. People with leprosy. No one could literally have human contact with them. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I know who you are. Come here. And he embraced them. Like, that's crazy. And I always kind of felt like one of those people that in my life, I had to only show people a shell of who I was and put the best version of me forward. But as I was coming to know Jesus, what I realized is he knew all of me. And he knew all the broken places of me. And he still wanted me. And that was crazy because of all the rejection I had experienced in my life. Love like Jesus I had never known before. And yet now it's, it's the commission that we would love like him. It came out yesterday in, one of the, in our prayer meeting, a prophetic word from someone. Uh, John chapter 13, he said that this is the new commandment that I have given to you, that you love one another. And by this, all the world would know that you are my disciple because of the way you love each other. And I thought, man, that's it. That's what I want. I want people to look at me and be like, dude, you love like no one else I know. I'm, 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 I don't show up on time. You're, you're compassionate towards me. I've got a lot of shortcomings, and you're always there. I want people to stop in their life and be like, dude, you, maybe that's just me, but I don't want to live like this world. I want to live a life that has something to give, and I give it, and I lay my life down so that other people can find freedom, and this is the anthem of my life. I want to love like Jesus, and so as I'm reading the scripture, this, uh, this thought came to me. There's a lot of times in scripture where Jesus says why he came. I think there's more than like, like 25 times in scripture where he would start off by saying, this is why I came. He said, Jesus said, I, I, I didn't come for those that were righteous, but for those that were righteous. I didn't come for those that were healthy, but for those that were sick. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. He said, I came to give my life. I, I came to give life to the full, that those would find life to the full. He would say again and again why he came. There's not many times that would say how he came. And so what I'm trying to do in my life is figure out how to become like Jesus. 
And so today I want to show you a verse that I think was pretty neat. And uh, how do we get to the point where in our lives we love like Jesus? Well, here's a pretty cool verse that I found. It's in Luke chapter 7. Wait, 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 wait. Before you put it up, put it up. Uh, we got to pray. Dear Jesus, I believe you want to speak to all of us today. Help me. Amen. Cool. Uh, so we know why he came. This is how he came. Jesus said this. He said, the son of man came eating and drinking. He came eating and drinking. But you say, oh, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What he's saying is, I came in a really normal way. Yes. I love that I feel like Jesus is like up on this shelf that I can't reach. And Jesus brings himself down to like this regular standard. And he's like, hey, look, I came doing the same thing y'all are doing on a daily basis. And I came doing it with normal people on a daily basis. So much to the point where people misunderstood who he was because he hung out with not the church folk, but the unchurched folk. Yeah. He hung out with normal people. People misunderstood who he was because of how he came. They thought he was going to be like higher than everyone else floating as he walked. You know what I'm talking about? Like, ooh. And um, I don't know, maybe that's just me, but I think like Jesus should float when he walks, you know. But he, uh, he was just normal. He said he came eating and drinking. And so I'm thinking about in my life, you know, I listened to the last few sermons that I preached, and I realized that I, I talked more about food in the last four weeks than I have probably in my whole entire life. Sorry to many of you guys, but here's the, what you need to know is that Jesus was normal, and he ate and drank just like the rest of us. He lived a pretty normal life. In fact, so much so, when I think about the greatest moments of my life as I'm planning vacations, you know what I'm planning? Where are we eating at? How many times are we eating? So, okay, it's morning. We're going to get breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and there's some snacks in between there, y'all. Where are we going? We're going to go here. We're going to go here. We went up to Asheville a few months ago, and we hit up all of the best places. I mean, we had breakfast sometimes twice a day, and, uh, and I, maybe I'm just me. But I think about eating because I love it. I love food. I'm a foodie. And uh, it's my love language. It's one of, it should be the sixth love language is food. But um, I got to get to the sermon. Um, Jesus came eating and drinking. And I realized that. Uh, so as I look through the scriptures this week, there are some people, re scholars that said that he did it like 28 times. But I, I went through uh, uh, chapter by chapter in the, in the New Testament, and I found 15 different times that I can count where Jesus had a life-altering moment with somebody just eating food. He found a way to make relationships count. He found a way to, to meet and get to the, the real things that because people are going to enjoy. And when you're, when you're there just breaking bread, you begin sharing life together. Thought about when Jesus had risen from the dead. He was resurrected, and he, he met with the disciples who were so broken. And they were like, oh, Jesus died. He died. He died. And Jesus is there eating dinner with them, and they don't recognize it because they're so broken. I thought about with that, when, when Jesus was uh, met with Peter after he resurrected, and he said, hey, if you love me, feed my sheep. 
What's real food? I love it, man. And when Jesus fed the 5,000 or when he was at the tax collector's house and, or at the Pharisee's house and that woman came in and uh, when he's, they're all eating dinner with these religious leaders, like super spiritual dinner, right? We're all talking about this great plan to take over the world and some crazy lady comes walking in and she throws himself at Jesus' feet, super awkward. And she's crying in the middle of dinner and she starts wiping his, her, 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 her tears are all over his feet and she's drying it with her hair. I mean, like, like, how awkward socially can you get? This is a weird, I don't know about you, but I've never in my life seen someone come into Applebee's while I'm eating dinner and start crying at my feet. You know, it would be so, Jesus found a way to break through in life-altering moments while just eating and drinking with people. And I, I realize that relationships are, because this is where we, we just share where the television isn't going on, when we're eating with people, it's, we're not distracted by anything. Everything is off, and we're looking at each other, and we're talking about life, where we're going, what we're doing, what we value, and there's, there's nothing that's distracting us. I mean, in a world that we live in now, we don't have many real moments unless it's around a table. And I realized that Jesus, this is how he did it, and I think this is how we're going to do it. It's just getting together talking about what matters most. That's how we're going to learn to love like Jesus. Pastor, where are you going? You telling me to eat more? Yes. Eat more with people is what I'm trying to say. And I'm going to say it again and again and again and again here today. Check this out. The problem is, is that a lot of us, uh, we, we, we're doing life alone and we're trying to grow spiritually and we're finding ourselves in the same season and the world is teaching us that it's safer for you to clam up and hibernate and, and don't trust people. In, in Genesis chapter 1, we, we find God saying that he created light and it was good and he created uh, the oceans and it was good and he, he began to create uh, the birds of the air and it was good and he made little bunny rabbits with their little foofy tails and it was good and he, he made cows and, and people and he made all these things and it's good and it's good and it's good. And in Genesis chapter 2, he, he, God says something is not good for the first time. You know what he says is not good for man to be alone. He says, this is, this is dangerous, man. He, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. He says, I'll make a helper who is just right for him. Please understand this church. You're never going to grow alone. I've seen so many people destroyed by the enemy because, you know, Napoleon had the same war strategy that the devil does in churches today is Napoleon would say, I can, I can overcome any army. If I divide them, I could conquer them. If I separate them, I could conquer them. But Gladiator, man, how many of you guys ever seen the movie Gladiator? He, he's, he's in the, the Colosseum and he looks up and he says, men, if we stay together, we live. Yeah. And then you see the guy wander off and he gets butchered. You know, like, listen, no, look, if we stay together, we live. If we stay together, we live. If we stay together, we live. And I need you, that's not like a point today, but I, it, it, I said it in the first service and I liked it. So I'm throwing it back out there in the second service. I was like, yeah, I like that point. That should have been... Somehow the enemy finds a way to isolate us. Uh, and, it's, and nowadays it's not even always because someone hurt our feelings or because they didn't pick us for the, to lead the team. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just because we're busy. But the Lord says it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. 
It's not good for you to be alone. And I believe that we'll learn to love if we learn to be together. you got to understand that some of your next step to grow spiritually is not sing louder. It's not, it's not even give to your local church. The, the next thing that you need to do spiritually is learn to be together. And this is a hard thing. But as I look in the New Testament, one of my favorite verses, hold on, I got, wait, oh man, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Jesus, he had 12 friends that he, he loved. He shared his life. Now, introverts are like 12 friends. There are some people in this room that they're like 35, 40, and we can't name two people that we're friends with. You know, it's like, it's hard to have 12 friends, you know. Now, there's some extroverts in this room like me, and I believe, I'm convinced I've got 600 friends that I am deep with. Like, I, we love each other. And Jesus figured it out. No, 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 look, you need to have, you need to have a connect group. Jesus had a connect group. They were called 12 disciples, 12 people. He shared his life with every day. Friends. I'm not talking about like, like church that has like these little groups. What, what these little groups are really supposed to be are people that, that like each other. Yeah. They want to hang out together. They want to go like bowling together or have dinner together or go watch a movie together or talk about stuff that's hard. Like when you're really on the inside struggling this happened in the New Testament, and man. Jesus is breaking his heart down to his best friends oftentimes. Do you have people in your life that are helping the, the greatest decision in your life? Some of you are like, I want to love God with everything in my heart, but your closest friends don't even love the Lord. And I'm telling you, you don't realize how much you need a group of people that will say, you're an idiot. You're wrong. You think you got it. No, 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 no. You ain't even, you, you're not even reading the Bible. Where are you getting this stuff from? Like, you, God ain't telling you to move to Alaska. What are you talking about? You're crazy, man. Uh, you know, someone just has to help you come back to earth sometimes. Because I don't know about you, but there's no one I've ever met in my life that's more right than me. But the people in my life, I was hanging out with my, one of my friends last night, Anthony. Anthony can tell you everything that's wrong with me. And sometimes you need people in your life to bring you back to reality. And we, we get offended by these things. No, no, this, these, are the, these are the helpful areas in your life where you trust the people that actually care about your well-being. And they'd say, hey, look, have you thought about, have you thought that through? Hmm. Got to have people. So in the New Testament, when the church was thriving at, at its most, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, one of my favorite passages, I'm sorry. I've read this passage in our church more than 50 times. I hope to read it thousands more, and it's really where the vision of our church comes from. And if you're visiting the church today, I, I, I pray that every week that our church looks like what I'm about to read to you, because it's where the church was booming. It's in Acts chapter 2. And, uh, and it said that thousands of people were getting saved in Acts chapter 2. It said 3,000 people came to know the Lord. And then the very next chapter says that this is how they grew. And uh, I'm so thankful to look around our church and see, I don't even, I don't know your name or your name or your name or your name. Man, it's so good to be a part of a church that's like growing and thriving. But it's really dangerous if we don't get to know each other. Uh, because you got to know that your pastor is not as 
is always spiritual as you think he is. And you got to know that the person sitting next to you doesn't have it together as much as they think that they do. And, and you got to know that it's okay for you to not have it together as much as you're trying to get. And then together, when I'm strong and you're weak, and when you're strong, you can help me. And when your finances fall apart, we're there for each other. And when your back goes out, you can have people come over and you, you're just doing life with friends. So in Acts chapter 2, we see the church growing. And you need to hear this, man. This is, if you're in your faith today saying, I want to grow, I love Stephen Furtick. I love T.D. Jakes. He is the greatest preacher alive. T.D. Jakes, hey, hey, T.D. Jakes, real quick, preach about pennies. Man, he just, and you know pennies, man, he, he is so good. I love him. Anyways, you're not going to learn a whole lot from Pastor Tim's sermon as much as you'll learn sitting in a small group, talking about your life and how it relates to Jesus. There's not many pastors that are going to be that honest with you. I am not that good. No one is that good. The gospel wasn't meant to be told to you. It was meant to be shared. And that's hard because we don't know how to share what's going on on the inside. Let me show you in Acts chapter 2. Shut up, Tim, and just say your point already. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this. So uh, in, in verse 41, it says that 3,000 people were, were saved. And then in 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe by many wonders and miraculous signs that were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold their possessions and their goods, and they gave to anyone as they had need. That is true gospel stuff right there, man. And every day they continued to meet together in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord. He added to their number daily those that were being saved. Man, and I think about it like, does the church look like that today? Do people look at us and go, you know what? Those people, man, they are just so filled with love. They love everyone so much that they're willing to go and sell stuff to make sure that everyone is taken care of in their midst. They're willing to give up their lives. They pray for each other. They care. They're there when each other needs them. The church is like nothing else in the world. And I found that the church at large, for the most part, doesn't look like that. And, um, and it kills me. And I wonder why. And I think it's mostly because society is, is teaching us to not share, but to get inside and self-preserve. Like, protect yourself. Don't, 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 don't go out, don't talk to people. You can't trust people, you can't like other, like, don't interact, like, keep your people small. Some of us have two people in our life and we don't have room for anyone else. And here's what you got to know. If the only people that you love are your family members, good luck growing spiritually. It's not going to happen. And I'm not trying to be mean, but that's not the gospel. We have to learn how to open our lives up enough to grow together. 
uh, I, I was uh, reading uh, multiple studies. I'm trying to figure out what went wrong in society. And I thought that it was going to say, like, the Internet is really the problem with why all of us are so introverted. But I had found uh, two different writers this week say that one of the reasons w that we started climbing inside of ourselves was the invention, not of the internet, but of, the, of air conditioning. I was like, what? I'm going to read this. And he said, years ago, we'd come home from work, and uh, when we, it would be hot in our houses, and we'd all just go sit out on our porch, and we'd talk, and we'd see our neighbors, and we'd wave at them, and we'd go over, and we'd stand in their yard, and they'd stand in ours, and we wouldn't have a, a problem going over and asking for a stick of butter, or, hey, I'm short an egg. Can you, I'm short like a lot of eggs? <laughs> can, you, uh, can you, and we, uh, we didn't have a problem just seeing each other and interacting, because that's where we, 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 we saw each other. But then the invention of the air conditioning came and we you know, it's nicer in here. And so now everything is about how can I make everything easier for myself? They said that the, the invention of, of, of the garage really set us back. You know, we come home and we'd get it, drive into our driveway and then uh, we'd, we'd open up the garage door and go in and then we invented the automatic garage door opener. So now we don't even, we don't even have to get out of our car. We just... Oh, going inside and shutting all the world out. And how quickly can I get to the couch, to my safe place, set the temperature just as I like, and set everything up just as comfortable as possible, where I don't have to interact. And then they invented the, the, the caller ID, right? Phone's ringing. Who is it? Oh, don't answer that. No, <laughs> leave a message after the beep, right? And we have, like, how do we set ourselves up as safe as possible, to have the least amount of interaction as possible. And now on social media, you could just like someone else's comment, and that's how you, that's how we stay in touch with people. I like them. Yeah. Oh, I know what's going on in their life. They're having a baby. Like it. No, what you don't know is that it's crazy up in that house right now. You know, there is some emotions all over the place. And they could probably use a babysitter this week at like, for like once. That would be an act of love. I don't know what the church looks like. And so when I'm thinking about the book of Acts chapter 2, about how these people, how they, um, they met together every day and they talked about the, the apostles' teachings and how they broke bread with each other. They had genuine meals and encounters where they, they loved each other and they talked and they shared and they, oh, there was a need. Oh, your washer and dryer broke. We're going to take care of that. Hey, hey guys, let's, uh, how about you chip in 50 bucks and I'll chip in 50 bucks and we'll get them a new dishwasher. How cool would that be? And then all of a sudden, the person who feels like so broken and like, God, where are you? There was a, my wife is like the most, she's not in the room right now. So I love talking about my wife when she's not here. We, uh, we got some new uh, appliances in our house. It was super cool. God set us up. We, we waited to Black Friday. She'd been wanting to do this for three years. We got new appliances. It was awesome. And we're going to sell all these things. This lady came to get, um, get a stove from us. And she said, uh, she said uh, we we're going to sell it for 100 bucks. And uh, this lady came and she said, I I'd been saving for over a month to get a stove. I've had to do slow cooker meals. I'm so excited about this stove. And my wife took the money, walked inside, and she said, I feel like I can't take this money to me. And I was like, well, um, 
hundred bucks there, Jack, you know? She went back outside and she gave it to him and she said, hey, just go take care of your family. Oh, man, I'm so proud of her. I was like, dude, sexiest woman in the world right there, man. <laughs> My heart explodes. And God feels the same way, man. You want to win God's heart? Give. Yes, amen. Give. Amen. Here's what I think the church looks like nowadays. This is not in Scripture. But I rewrote um, Acts chapter 2 to say what I, I think that the new, the new church kind of looks like if we're not careful when we don't have community and we don't have radical love for Christ or the bride of Christ. This is not in scripture, but I think you might like it. If you haven't heard anything, tune your ears into this. The Christians were devoted to themselves, and occasionally they got to church when they had time. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs and wonders performed by the believers. Very few of the believers were together and they had almost nothing in common because they had no real time with each other. If they sold something, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They ate on the run and they kept to themselves and were too rushed to enjoy one another or to give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't really love each other and they felt very empty and alone. As a result, most of the people disliked the church and very few people were ever saved. Because you'll know that you're my disciples by, by your love for one another. But it's easier to go to church and just listen than it is to be the church. And listen, I don't know who's selling you what, but I'm not, not trying to tell you that Christianity is easy. It's going to be hard to lay your life down and look like Jesus. Because the love that Jesus has cost him everything. That's why they say salvation's free, but discipleship's going to cost everything. I, um, you know, what's hard as a pastor is um, most of us can only make it to church when it's easy or convenient. You know, if things are crazy this week, well, we'll just sleep in. We haven't slept in all, all, all like two weeks. We should probably sleep in. Or we have some errands we've got to run, kind of a busy week. 168 hours in a week, I get you for one. And in this time, we believe that I've detoxed you from the thinking of the world and somehow put on you this cloak that makes it so that way you don't, you're never wrong and you always, your heart always lines up with Jesus and you don't love things of this world and you don't think things of this world. You, you, you just love just like Jesus. And I'll tell you, um, yeah, you sleep in, it's cool. You needed it. So then I, you have to wait another 167 hours before you can make it back to church the next week to be in an atmosphere where you remember what true north looks like. Oh, but when you're in the presence of God, you know, God, this is everything that I need. I, like, I, I don't know about you, but when I'm here with all of you, I come alive. And I realize what I'm fighting for and what I'm after and what I, what I want. And I'm fighting to be whole on the inside. And God, I want to love people. I want to forgive people. And I want to be kind. And I want to be generous. And all of a sudden, I realize that my life is not about me, but it's about others. And I, I want to go. I want to fight. I want to... But you sleep in. 
man, you got to know that the, the weight of this world is like gravity and it is pulling you down. And you, I, what I'm trying to do is get us into relationships where we'll have people in our life that pull us up. Yes. I remember the old youth group presentation that would say that it's easier for, for your friends to pull you down than it is for you to pull your friends up. And that's why you got to have people in your life that will cheer you on. Hebrews said it this way. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. He says, now let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I love how many friends get together and talk about how we can live lives with more purpose? There ain't, ain't many friends saying, hey, look, hey, hey, hey let's get together. And we'll, we'll do, how do we, let's do great things. Oh, we get together and do, and do nothing. And we try to kick off the way of the world. But it's good to get together to people to say, you know what? Life matters. Let's be intentional with the days that we live. Days, our days are getting smaller and fewer and fewer and fewer. We're getting older and older and older and older. And we need to make days count. I need to make my marriage count. I need to make time with my kids count. I need to make my work count. I'm trying to get promoted. I'm trying to, hey, pray for me. Anyone else? Let us spur one another on. And I think what we don't understand is when we get alone, all we hear is our own thoughts about how our boss is wrong and they don't see how good we of a worker we really are and everyone's missed it and we're the hardest worker that's ever worked in that career ever. This is what we think. I don't understand why people don't just praise me because I'm so good at everything. Like, no, I'm not trying to be mean. Like that's, we think that we're the best at what we're doing and our efforts are fantastic. And it's good to have other people in our life that check us and that push us to show up earlier, have integrity, go the extra mile, be honest, apologize. You don't see that kind of love in the world, but you find it in a circle that matters. Rachel, would you come? Today, um, how we're going to end this is we're going to have communion together. And um, if you're new to our church, I want you to know that we practice open communion. And um, what I mean by that is that um, you don't have to be a member of our church to, to, to take communion. But it, what, what's important is that you, um, your heart kind of gets right. And what I mean by that is that you, your heart says, God, I, I want to love you the way you love me. And I think that's when your heart is right. Like you, it, I, If you feel like you're not as good as me, I'm probably looking at some of you going, I'm not as good as you. Um, Jesus is what makes us good. And that's why we love him, because there's no love in this world like the love that Jesus has. We're going to take communion today. And uh, Jesus said this right before he died. He was uh, meeting with his disciples. And they're celebrating a dinner called Passover, which is uh, uh, Father, bless the elements, and um, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't take them, just take them, but don't eat them. Take them, but don't eat them. Okay, cool. Uh, you guys should go. Thank you. Um, they're taking communion, and uh, they're taking uh, bread and, and, and wine, and what's happening is they're, um, they're celebrating a dinner that would be an annual dinner that would remind everyone of all the great things that God's done. 
And after Jesus died, he would ask them to continue to celebrate that same dinner, but do it weekly now to remind everyone of all the great things that God has done. Are you with me? So the purpose of this is to celebrate Jesus and all the great things that he's done. But as Jesus is breaking the bread and taking the wine, he's actually celebrating multiple promises. The purpose of it is not to break bread and, and, and partake wine. The purpose of it was so that he can explain to them that he's, he's sharing his life. He's about to have the hardest moment of his life. He's about to die. No one took Jesus' life. He, Jesus wasn't murdered. Jesus wasn't a victim. He laid his life down for us. And he's about to go through the hardest thing in his life. And what he wants to do is share his brokenness. And what's so beautiful is there are people here that are broken and Jesus was broken for us so we can be whole. And today I want you to know that you can find healing because of his brokenness. Does that make sense? So Jesus said this in Luke chapter 22. He said, I have greatly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I greatly desire to eat with you. I greatly desire to be with you before I go and suffer. I want to share with you before I go and die. And I think what I want is to have people in my life that have the same values as me that makes me better. I want to be a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better leader, a, 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 a better follower of Jesus. And I want people in my life that will coach me. I grow more in a group than I ever do in a row. I learn more from you guys than I do any podcast I listen to throughout the week because I get to share where I suck and I get to share my dreams and my hopes and I get to hear yours. I, I forgot to dream like you. I didn't know you can dream like that. I, didn't, I forgot about signs and wonders. I forgot about stewarding my finances. I forgot that promotion was possible because I felt stuck. And together, we get unstuck. I am uh, trying to fall more and more in love with Jesus. 